Music Witch, the podcast. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me because I'm I'm very excited to hear about I don't know the story behind your success, I think. Um and you're a writer. And so I was interested to maybe start with the, the, the uh, like what inspired you or drew you to become a writer? And then more specifically, like how has your personal spiritual journey affected your writing? Um, and are there maybe even specific spiritual beliefs or practices that you draw on to write your characters and their stories? So um, I was always a big reader growing up. I loved stories. Um, I kind of grew up in a difficult situation. So reading was an escape for me. And I was 12 years old and I was actually on a plane flying to Colorado. And I had read a story that ended just absolutely horribly for the character. You know, I was and 12 years old, you know, you don't know what to do with all of these emotions and I was crying and I wanted to make this terrible feeling inside of me go away. So the only thing I could think of to do was to get out my notebook. And I started writing just as feverishly as my little 12 year old heart could manage and rewrote the ending of the book, because that's all I could think that could make that pain go away. And so then when I got through writing and wrote my, the end, I went back to where I felt the author had gone wrong per se and read from hers to mine. And when I was done, I realized that I was a writer because it was the best feeling in the world. Like I just came alive. So that's, it's where it started. And I took um, creative writing courses throughout high school and into college. And while I was in college, I actually got pregnant with my daughter and I dropped out. And so writing and college kind of went on the back burner for me for a while. And I went on to have more babies and that was my life. And I don't regret it. It's been wonderful watching, you know, little humans become their own people. Um, while I was raising them, there would be times where I would pick up my writing or I would start a novel, but I never, never followed through. I never finished it. I don't know if it was fear, busyness, you know, there's a lot of super moms out there that are writing novels with toddlers Oh, I have so much respect for them, but I was not one of those people that could do that. So um, when my uh, youngest daughter started high school, I homeschooled all of my children. So when my youngest daughter started high school, she was an independent girl, you know, independent learner. So the need for mom was much diminished. And I was kind of a little panicky like that, you know, not quite the empty nest syndrome, but what am I going to do with myself feeling? And my, I feel like my guides came through to me and they're like, write silly. <laughs> so I was like, Oh yes, I should write. So I picked up, I had like three or four, like starts the novels that I had been playing around with over the years and just went to bed, set an intention that I would know which one I was supposed to begin. And when I got up the next morning, I picked them up and I knew, and I just started writing and I wrote my first novel, The Water is Wide, in three months, got it completely finished. And just it's just been a ride since then. Yeah. How many novels do you have? It looks like several, like a whole shelf. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I have I have four that are released. I have one that's complete that I'm working with my agent on at the moment. And then I've got two or three others that are partially done that I'm in the process of working on. Yeah. So in so the moments between is out, the canary song, the water is wide. I don't think I have the fourth one written down. The dark room. Okay. And then uh, the upcoming ones I saw, I was just poking around your website, the year by the lake and the vacant apartment. Yeah, those are, those actually had a shift in direction, just always a fun thing. So I actually wrote another novel in between those two that are supposed to come out. Those are two of the ones that are in the works. And then I have another book. Um, I'm not allowed to share the title at the moment, but it's um, really exciting. So that one will be my next. That is exciting. Well, that's really cool. You're very prolific. Um, and I guess for, I want to dig in a little bit to like some of the themes and what you already have out too. But uh, as for the upcoming ones, are there any particular themes or stories that you notice that you're gravitating toward more recently? Well, I have noticed in my desire and in, in my creation of stories, I am starting to create stories that more are along even the moments between is already stepping into this is more of the on the fringe of what is the reality 3d that we see yeah I wanted to ask about that too side. yeah so I've really started to kind of pull in a little bit more of it's not really based in spirituality but more of a mind stretching thing that there's more to the world than what we see with our 3d eyes yeah that kind of answers i wanted to talk about the moments between because there's this element of like time and events unfolding as if you're in a dream and i really i see that reflected in a lot of like philosophy that i'm very interested in so i was curious about kind of what but yeah for you it's about re the recognition that there's kind of more than just the mundane what yeah, I'm absolutely. So the story of the moments between starts with a woman and her experiences that her husband has been killed in a train accident. And so she, as she's waking up in the morning, it's been six months since he was killed and she's got two small young boys. You know, she's still in the throes of the grieving process. But on this particular morning, when she wakes up, she hears her husband shaving in the bathroom and Needless to say, she's very happy, but very confused. And she picks up her phone and realizes it's actually three months before the accident ever happened. So she wrote it off as a very vivid, like prolific, not prolific, but um, like just a dream that just seemed so real. Yeah. 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 Like she's just like, okay, uh, you know, it's just a dream. It seemed real. I felt like my husband had died. It's terrible. You know, we've all had dreams like that but thank god it's not real and she just went about her life well as she started going about her life things from the dream began to happen mm -hmm. and what she noticed about these events that were happening is she was powerless to stop them so for an example um, she had a tray from her grandmother and in the dream her son had pulled down the tray trying to get a cookie and had broken it okay so she was standing in the hall and sees her son reaching up to the tray of cookies and so she knows what's going to happen and she rushes with all her might to try to stop it and she can't tray breaks and several incidences like this happen in her life and it doesn't take her long to realize that her husband is on the slate 
to pass. And so the story is about the character trying to take control of destiny and to stop fate and not let her husband be killed on the train. Yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of times, like we experience time that way. So I think that's a really interesting way to, to form the narrative, I guess. Um, yeah. And really poetic. I'm trying to think of the name um, after the love death. Lawrence Kramer after the love death is kind of it's like a more philosophical book but it's kind of organized that way where it's like these it's it's very dreamlike so that's a really cool approach. Oh, I'd, probably, I'd probably like to read that I'll have to get that title from you again oh yeah I'll have to look up there's a couple of them because at one point I made a list because I'm interested in like alternative writing styles um so I'll, I'll look them up but uh, I also wanted to ask about, I guess, Canary Song in the uh, the Canary Song and also the water is why you explore these themes of um, resilience and yes. how people deal with tragedy and how they survive after tragedy. And uh, in general, across your books, it seems like you explore those themes and also also a theme that is like love, but like losing someone that you love. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering if those themes were something that maybe come up, came up in your own life and inspired you to write about them or, or where that's coming from. Um, well, personally, you know, I've had a stillbirth, um, several miscarriages, and then I also lost my uh, younger sister in 2005 oh. and my loss dealing with my sister, you know, losing an un unborn baby is its own heartache. And then losing a, a sister is its own heartache, as would be losing a parent or a spouse or a friend. You know, it's all an, an individual experience, depending on the relationship. Um, my sister was really hard because, you know, we grew up together, you know, going through the trauma that we experienced. So having her there was a, a form of, I guess, security for me. And um, I had a lot of guilt over, you know, as we all tend to do. You know, when someone that we care about passes, we tend to, you know, think about all the things we could have done better. And so I had a lot to process, you know, in losing her. But, you know, when I wrote the Canary song, I, the character has to traverse the wilderness. She becomes lost in an actual wilderness in North Carolina. And when I was writing it, I realized that her being lost in the wilderness was a very much a mirroring of being in the heart of grief because you do find yourself in this place that you don't know how to get out of. You don't know how to save yourself from. So I wrote the book in a parallel that as she saved herself from the, from the wilderness, she also saved herself from the throes of grief and from when she had lost. And, you know, having the experience of losing my sister and losing the babies um, I do believe helped me to have, um, I don't know what the right, more of an empathetic view of my character and what she was experiencing. Because one of the things about me as a writer, I do, I feel like my stories are in a way channeled to me because I do feel like my characters are real, not in a delusional kind of way, but like in, in a spiritual kind of way, mm -hmm. they feel so real to me. So when Claire, the the star of the Canary song, when she's going through what she's going through, you know, I'm kind of just telling her story for her. Mm -hmm. So I, I do feel that my own experiences and loss filtered into that. And, you know, that is important to me as, as you 
perceived, you know, and picking up, you know, looking at my books is, you know, I'm a writer. That's my heart. But I know that my calling is to use my writing to help others. You know, when I was little, I always loved the stories with the moral of the story. I'd always get excited to find out what the moral of the story was. And I didn't even realize when I wrote The Water Is Why that that's what I was doing. I was weaving a moral of the story into it. And when I was done and I realized I was so excited because I thought this passion that I have to help people to see their own worth and to heal and to learn to love themselves and to move past this stuckness, I could do through writing. And that was such an exhilarating feeling. So in every book you will ever see from me, there will always be some sort of theme of triumph, of healing, of redemption, as you said. Um, and I also, one thing is because of my experience at 12 years old, I never end my books on a sad or depressing or any kind of like tragic, shocking note. They will not end the way you expect them to because I'm really good at surprises but they won't ever leave you feeling sad. You'll walk away from a Natalie Banks novel happy and hopefully better for it. I absolutely love that. And it just sounds like your art is your magic and you're doing some really interesting thing. I wonder if you would consider it like a type of maybe transmutation or manifestation for yourself, because I can hear how you're, you know, deeply connected to these stories. And I think with my own art, that's something I do is like, I'll take something and through the process of putting it as a story or kind of putting it out there as it's as a work it helps to process it helps to transmute the energy of the whole thing and even to manifest I would say is that yeah. something you find with your work yeah so I think writing in general not even fiction fiction writing just the physical act of writing is mm -hmm. an, um, a form of you know, manifestation, taking control of our manifestations because we're manifesting constantly, but, you know, to have that more focused control over our reality writing is phenomenal for that. Um, and definitely I agree with you. I mean, there's been times where I've been writing and then sometimes I'll just stop, you know, my fiction writing and I'll just stop and be, I'll just cry because I'm realized I just wrote something that helped me mm -hmm. that I didn't even realize was happening. It's just, it's a beautiful thing when you're working with the universe and with spirit and you're, you're being open to the direction and the flow of giving yeah. because when you give, you receive. So it's, it's wonderful. I love that too. Yeah. Being open to the flow of it. And it's interesting too, to think about writing versus like my field is music. Um, and so the flow is more like something I don't know, the flow is is the sound vibration and kind of the bodily movements and, and all of that interconnected. And with writing, it's like a different kind of flow maybe, but the same. Um, and I wonder then what does your writing process look like? And do you have like maybe specific rituals or habits that help you with your creativity, help you with that flow, kind of get you into the state to be able to channel as you as you say? Um, which I've experienced too. So yeah, what does that look like for you? Um, well, I try to make meditation, you know, a daily practice. That's why they call it practice because we're always practicing it, getting better, you know, quiet in our minds. So, you know, getting my myself quiet, getting the chitter chatter, the insecurities, you know, the questions, because, you know, when I go to start a book and I feel most writers are this way, no matter how many books I've written, no much, no much, no matter how much praise I've received, mm 
there's always this absolute terror before I put the first word on the page. And that's where it's very important for me to step back and say, you know, I'm working with the divine and to like open my heart because, you know, you can't create when you're closed. I'm sure with you, with your music, if you were just all shriveled up and afraid, your you know, your voice would constrict, you wouldn't be able to do what you do. And so in writing, it's the same thing. I have to be able to open and, and show up, you know, and, and to make space for myself, you know, as an individual for Natalie to be able to, you know, have a quiet, to have peaceful moments, to take care of my body, to nourish myself. Because if I run myself really thin, then I can't. Mm -hmm. um, so the process, typically um, the way my stories work is it starts with a spark and I get an idea. Sometimes it could be, I could be watching another movie and, you know, they take the plot in a completely different direction. And my mind goes this way. And then I start building a brand new story off of my idea of where they should have went. Sometimes I overhear a conversation. Sometimes I'll just see a house and mm -hmm. then it's like I'm lit on fire and I just know the story. And so when I say I know the story, I know the house that the story is going to be built upon, but I don't know all the secret rooms on the inside. So, mm -hmm. you know, I do a lot of, um, I guess, free writing to just get ideas out about the characters and about the environments that they're going to be in the situations. And then it just, by divine miracle, it just starts to fall into place. You know, each time I sit down to write though, I do try my best. Sometimes I'm a little frenzy, especially in the editing phase, but try to, you know, to give thanks for the divine and for the gift and for the stories and for the readers and for my agent and for my family's support. Like there's, so much with the gratitude portion that also helps open up that portal. Yes, yeah. I agree. I'm learning that more recently that that being in that place of gratitude is so fruitful. And I wonder if you are feeling that or thinking about that in terms of vibration and in terms of like where you, where, you know, how you're vibrating as you write and as you, yeah. I don't know, do your work. Is that how you think yes. of it? Because- I do feel like a piece of me is in all of my books and it's, I have seen the difference from different books and different, um, different people that I've worked with on my books when I'm not in actual like pure hearted flow, it does affect like the story is still good, yeah. but the piece of me that's in there is missing. Hmm. So I definitely feel like the vibration, like with your music, I'm sure you, your energy is going into the music. And so for me, my energy is going into the writing. So it's extremely important for me to be feeling loving and peaceful and happy because I want everybody who picks up my book to feel that not a negative emotion. Because when I was going through a trial in my life sometime back and I was writing a novel I actually had to set to the side because when I was done with it, you know, I shared it with someone and they're like, this is just not you. This is not your energy. I don't know what this is. And I knew because it's where I was at when I was writing it. And I said, you know, I, I even rewrote it and I couldn't fix it because mm -hmm. I had already put that energy into that book. Mm -hmm. so how'd it goes? Learning the art of letting go. <laughs> that was so interesting. That's so interesting. And then I also wonder tying back to these themes of like time being 
like a dream, which I think is how it really works. I think time is um, not linear at all. And, mm -hmm. but with this kind of art form of writing, even as opposed to music or whatever, it's like uh, you are sharing that energy in a way that's like uh, reflective of that, like not in linear time. And so that's a very interesting way to kind of commune with people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a question in there. Do you feel like it's a reciprocal energy? That's a question. Do you feel like it's a reciprocal energy with your, with your audience um, where you can get a sense of how their energy is, or if that, that mixes in for you, or do you hold pretty strong boundaries to where it's like a one-way thing? Yeah, I do hold very strong boundaries. Um, I do find when I'm out doing events, because I do a lot, especially locally, I go out and meet readers and, you know, do, do book signings and events. Mm -hmm. And I feel that the universe brings the readers to me that are on the same frequency because I just, I have the most delightful encounters with people. They're, they're just beautiful, beautiful souls come up and speak to me. And whether they're brand new, just seeing me at the event, or they're a, a reader that's been following me since the beginning. Like there's just this sense of communion, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, with the amount of readers I have, I probably would not be in communion with every single one of them. I hope that you know, every single one of them is being blessed or being healed in some way or strengthened in some way from my stories. But yeah, I do when I'm not, even when I'm out, I do try to keep a, an energetic, you know, shield around me. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for all of us because not because like some, you know, creepy hoodoo, but you know, we're all energy beings and we're all vibrating and not everybody is vibrating in a higher rate. And the lower energies do pull on mm -hmm. higher frequency energies and it can pull us down. So it's good to keep our vibration high because then we can help lift them up. Yeah. And I think you're right. It does that without you having to necessarily like exchange an energy and you really can't, when you have a following, you have to, there is a dynamic with the following, but it's bad boundaries to just have like a one-to-one -one energy exchange with any, everybody in the following or indiscriminately or whatever. So that is something you have to, I'm sure you've had to learn through your journey of, of getting a following to try to manage that. Yeah, it, it's important, but it's, it's, I guess the, the pros and cons, it's a balance as is everything. The universe is a paradox. <laughs> it is. It's a bunch of true things that don't make any sense right up next to each other. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, yeah. Are you enjoying having the following though? Do you like that relationship? Do you, do you, I don't know how to say that. Like um, when you go about writing, is that part of what you enjoy about it? Or is the writing really kind of like part of a personal transformation that is nice to also share externally? Um, I would say yes and yes. We're going to have a paradox here. Um Having a large following of people, um, it puts a lot of pressure, you know, on me to be there for them, you know, and to provide the books. They're waiting for books and, you know, and they look because they look up to me, you know, I have the pressure on me to be perfect all the time. And we both know that that's not real. Mm -hmm. And so what I have learned over the journey of, you know, being in the spotlight, so to speak, is to show more authenticity 
that, you know, my life is not perfect, that I'm not always smiling and bright and chipper. You know, there's, there's days that I'm not doing well. And I also give myself permission that if I don't have something valuable to give my audience, I don't give. I don't just show up just to put content out there. You know, I'm not looking to try to hit a viral video. I just want to do the best that I can for the people that are there with me at the moment and to just trust that who's supposed to be there will be there and they will hear what they're supposed to hear. So yeah. I hope that answered your question. Yes. I mean, that's wonderful. That's a hard learned lesson for a lot of people, I think, and including myself, but I'm glad that you're there because I mean, I've also been talking a lot. I've just been very like preoccupied with the idea of vibration because it always bothered me that, that people talked about it in a hierarchical vertical way. So I always was like averse to thinking about vibration, but now I'm like, no, it's like a real thing that there's something about gratitude that like lifts you higher. And then you mentioned authenticity and there's something about authenticity that lifts you higher. And I was also just talking about that, um, with someone about how, you might not always, not every day you're going to be happy, right? Maybe one day you're mad or maybe one day you're sad or maybe one day you're just whatever is like low vibration. But if, if that's how you're authentically feeling in that moment, and if you're not going to like cling to it and get sucked into it so that that's just like a thing you're stuck in, then there's no, nothing higher. There's nothing better than, you know what I mean? Like, uh, that's where, that's the highest way you can be operating. I think is to just be feeling how you feel. Yes. Yeah. Because if you don't feel the feelings, if you try to like the toxic positivity, if you don't feel it, it bottles and then it explodes. Are you, or you get an injury or a sickness, mm -hmm. you know, the body wants to purify itself of the lower vibrations. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, about gratitude being so powerful because, you know, they've proven scientifically, they can actually measure the frequency coming off of a body when they're experiencing emotions. Mm -hmm amazing but at the same time we can't expect ourselves to always be this high vibrational hello birds and trees and you know I mean that's just not real we're in a human suit yeah. and there's going to be times where we're cranky we might have a headache or didn't sleep that well somebody pulled out in front of us and we're just not in the mood and that's okay yeah. you know it's the flow I think it's the flow of being able to move into a lower vibration Mm -hmm. And also be able to move back into that higher vibration because it's, it's available to all of us. And I know what you're talking about, about the hierarchy, like, oh, this is a high vibrational yeah. person. Like you I know? feel better than you because I'm a high vibration. No, none yeah. of that, <laughs> but it's not, there's something to it. It didn't resonate with you because it wasn't authentic and you sense that. And that's why you pulled away from it. But now you're starting to see, oh, okay, I get it. It's, it's a scale that we move up and down. And that's the beautiful thing that makes it's like your music, mm -hmm. you've got all of the notes and the scales, you know, there's lower keys and higher keys, but it makes that beautiful music. You know, I always I say that. without darkness, we would never know that we were in the light. So we have to experience all in order to know. So I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. And I do think it's kind of like a, it's like a type of shadow work, right? Where, you know, those things, I was also just talking to somebody else about this, those things that you ignore and you just don't deal with get worse and they become bad. 
But if you deal with them, process them, reintegrate them, then they are part of you. And that's a beautiful thing. And they become gifts a lot of the times. Like some of your greatest gifts are these things that you've transmuted from the shadowy parts, you know? And I think that um, I just love how you just talked about um, music just there. I think, well, you're a writer, so that makes sense. <laughs> but, uh, oh gosh. I don't know the the authenticity part of it. I think that you're right that um, I think my problem was I wasn't around people that were showing me what it meant to be in that authentically high vibe space. So my experiences were either people that were like um, faking it, you know, and and sure, fake it till you make it in some sense of that as well. But the other people that I was around were people that were like. Um, not happy, like for a long time, you know, not, not healing, not doing super well with their, in terms of their own personal energy. So I didn't really have like an example to see. And now I've been bringing in, I think more people that have that energy and that are just like operating from authenticity, operating from gratitude. And so then suddenly I'm like, oh no, that's completely right. Like that's exactly how it goes. And that's exactly what you do and then it works like that's all ties into how manifestation works and stuff obviously but anyway amazing <laughs> aquarian music witch the podcast is made possible by listeners like you to support this project you can contribute directly through our ko-fi page at ko-fi.com aquarian music witch or consider subscribing to our supercast page with the amw supercast content access pass you'll gain access to a vault of exclusive content and other cosmic perks starting at just $5 a month. Now, back to the show. Your uh, bio also mentions that you're, and so you're in North Carolina and yes. you kind of on the beach with your family. Yeah. Yes. And uh, a lot of your stories are set in North Carolina. Yeah. So... I wondered if you found that your environment kind of influences your writing and are you exploring certain things about that environment maybe by choosing it as a setting for your stories or have you gotten insights about it because of that? Um, well, I was born, I was born and raised in North Carolina and I've always loved our state. Um, we, my husband and I lived in South Carolina for a period of time. And even though it's just, you know, environmentally, it should be very similar, but I was just not as happy in South Carolina. And when we did end up moving back to North Carolina, I just, I felt a blossoming within myself. And so because North Carolina is such a sense of home for me, it gives a great foundation for writing my stories. And North Carolina has so much to offer. You know, it's just such a beautiful place with the with the mountains and then we've got the ocean and the forests and I mean what more of a backdrop could you ask for so I love it and it's kind of like it's my thing you know I can say all oh, my books are set in North Carolina even though I may stretch out you know a little here and there and you know we've got I've got and what the water is wide there's some set in Massachusetts and okay. you know so you know, I'm hopping around a little, but yeah, North Carolina is my home base because it's just a sense of comfort. And I, I like for my books to have the energy of comfort. So it's a great foundational place to start. That makes sense. It kind of reminds me of like Stephen King setting all his stuff in his hometown, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. 
and the comfort, a sense of comfort. So do you think these are good? Like, what's your typical audience, actually? Do you have a lot of people that might take these for like a beach read? Do you have a lot of like educated people? Do you have a lot of people that are local? What does the audience look like? All, all of the above. It's it's amazing. My demographic goes from 16-year-olds all the way up to 75-year-olds. Um, uh, interestingly enough, I have probably about a quarter of my readership is men. And a good chunk of them are former just nonfiction readers. You know, they're highly intellectual, but there's something about my books that call to them probably because spirit wants to work through the books and, you know, heal their little hearts. And so, um, yeah, it's been, it's been really fun to, to see all the different kinds of people that love my stories. And it means so much to me as a writer because you know, I know that there's a lot of people who love, you know, they'll write just romance and like, it's just for like people in their twenties or thirties. And yeah, that's amazing. And I know their readers appreciate that, but I really love writing for a broad audience because it also opens up my creativity that I can write more um, vast stories, you know, things that are different. I don't have to stick to a certain formula or yeah. a certain storyline. I can just write whatever the divine brings to me and it's fun and exciting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you said about a quarter of the audience is men. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little more, but I'm on the, on the conservative side, I would say, because about a third of my followers on social media is also men. But I do, I have so many, um, women tell me I bought your book and then my husband stole it and he read it and or have you know readers come to see, get the book signed and it's a guy and it's like I loved your book I'm like thank you yeah it must be something working in them for them um which is really great because I think there's like a lot of difficult separation between like genders and gendered energies going on in society right now. So it's really nice to be able to make some kind of bridge for at least some people like that. I do write um in several of my stories, I have a dual POV. So um, maybe that's also an appeal because there's like a, a male character in not all of them, but Canary Song, The Water is Wide. Yes. And then my new one that will be coming out is also a dual POV with a with a male character. So by dual POV, do you mean like usually it's oscillating between two or is it more like a jumping around between many characters? I write in first person. So as I tell the story, I become Claire, like in Canary Song and I tell mm -hmm. the story and then I become her husband and I tell his side of the story. Oh, okay. Do you feel like, is that often done with a male and female character, but not always? Yeah, it could, it could potentially be like, I do have one in the works that is two females. Um, but I think a lot of things in life, you know, we're uh, relating to a spouse or, you know, a boyfriend or a father or, you know, something like that. So. Well, that's interesting. And then, so you sort of embody the masculine character too. And then I'm sure you have to kind of draw on your own masculine energy to do that. Do you have, is that a smooth process? Do you feel comfortable with your masculine energy or do you feel like it's something you have to kind of work to tap into? No, it comes very naturally. Um, I, you know, growing up, I was definitely more in my masculine energy. My father's a, a masculine, masculine energy. And so I, I learned how to lean into that. So it's been, um, 
after I started to awaken, you know, awaken per se, um, trying to remember who we are and why we're here, um, I started to learn to lean more into the feminine, which I'm getting much better at over the years. Um, but the the male characters, I I feel like it's more of the case of the channeling because my male characters are so authentic as are the female. So there's really no way to explain it. I mean, I'm an empath and an intuitive. So yes, I can read people and pick up on their energy, but I think it's so much more than that because they come across so real. As I told you, I believe that they have a real essence somewhere in the ether. So yeah, I would give credence to, to spirit in the channeling portion of that because the the male characters are strong. They do come through well. Interesting. It feels like a channeling. Yeah. And when you, by the way, when you say that it's like real on some level, I know exactly what you mean. And I'm sure that that's exactly right. Um, and did you have like a moment of spiritual awakening or has it just been kind of a gradual process of like learning more about yourself and, you know, your beliefs over time? Well, like I said, I came from a, a traumatic, um, upbringing and all, all through my life, I felt like I had like this darkness in my chest and not like evil darkness, but just like a heaviness mm -hmm. and, I could feel the the conflict of who I knew I was in this darkness, kind of like battling for who was going to be in charge of my life. And I, you know, I'd been raised Christian and even as just a little bitty girl, I could see by the people's actions and hear in their words and their teachings that something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And I would talk to God about what I felt like wasn't right. Like, um, well, maybe I shouldn't go into that. <laughs> so, I'm not sure. Um, but I would talk to God about certain things in the religion that as a child I felt was wrong. And, you know, I just kind of giggle about it because, you know, I imagine, you know, the divine is like giggling itself at, at my, my whimsical thoughts. But at those questions about what I was being taught followed me into adulthood. And even like studying about like Jesus, you know, growing up, you know, he was, you know, put as a central theme, like he was God. And mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like that. And when I would pray, you know, I would say, Jesus, I love you, but I know you're not God. So just, hi, I'm going to talk to God now. <laughs> and so as I started to learn, you know, adventure out because, you know, traditional religion, I don't know how you were raised, but traditional religion has a strong fear factor. Yeah. And so I was afraid to stick my toes into the water of other things. But the more that I started to read about like Buddhism and Hinduism, um, I began to say, wait, this sounds like what they told me Jesus taught. And so that's kind of what started, started that like a little seed in my brain that there's more going on like this. I'm feeling inside has merit. And I was driving along one day and I strongly heard the voice of spirit say to me, I'm about to change your life. And I thought, what does that mean? Like that was scary because I only heard like the voice of God per mm -hmm. se yeah. um, a few times in my life. And every time I had ever heard what I felt like was, we'll say God, God, but we'll, you know, the divine universe. Um, 
And then I said, God, um, I knew that it was true because the only other times it had happened had been things that happened in my life. So when this was very ominous, I'm about to change your life. Mm -hmm. was shortly after that, all of the pain from my childhood came up to be processed. All of that started happening. And while that was happening, I was just, just thrown into the deep end of spirituality. And when that happened, you know, the internet was still, you know, on its, on its growing legs, so to speak, walking legs. It's learning how to, to be this thing that it is today. And there was not a lot out there for me to glean from. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd relied on my guides around me and the divine just coming through and speaking to me and teaching me. And I know it feels, I feel a little crazy saying that out loud, but that is literally how I learned everything that I still believe to this day. It was later, you know, especially like in um, when, you know, COVID happened and TikTok took off and all these people were like just blasting out all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's what they taught me. Like I would hear and I'm like, that's what they taught me. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff that I had learned all turned out that other people were learning it too. And so it was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a process. Um, it's been, you know, going on 14, 15 years now. And it's still, it's a daily practice. Like, you know, you just, you don't wake up spirituality and just be this like super being, you know, we we're like I said, we're humans, we're in this meat suit and we have to learn how to navigate it. And my latest venture is, you know, learning to love the little child inside of me, but also to be that parent, you know, you hear that in theory all the time, you know, in order to heal the inner child, you have to reparent, mm. but you, know, you have to really do it. So when, you know, the little inner girl in me is like, what? you know, getting upset, throwing a fit, you know, I have to make the decision as that, as my higher self. Mm -hmm. Okay. I understand, you know, are you clothed? Are you, you know, are you warm? You got food? Did you go to the bathroom? Do you need water? You know, do you need sleep? Just like you would a child. Mm -hmm. If all those needs are met and you're just throwing a fit, then, you know, I'm going to need you to be quiet because we've got <laughs> to do and just hang on and it'll be okay. We'll do something fun in a minute. And I know it seems kind of crazy, but it works. It works to just acknowledge the child and say, Hey, I hear you. Or maybe you are tired. Okay put the computer away. You know, we're driven to succeed. We want to do these things, want to create, but maybe we need a rest. Maybe we need a day off. Yeah. So I think I went off on a tangent. Sorry about that. No, I love that. Um, I love a tangent and I think you're completely right. And just like reparenting that inner child and giving validation and giving love where, whether or not there was in the first place. I think that's, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but I think that's a huge, just generational curse breaker that a lot of people around this time in the world are doing that. And it's a really beautiful thing. I don't know what I'm thinking about, but I think, yeah, a lot of people went through it. And so it's interesting. You went through that before COVID, which is I, to me, I think a lot of people went through it during COVID and it was like this big kind of mass awakening moment, but this was something you were clued in on ahead of time. So that's pretty interesting. I think the beginning of that came because I actually had an NDE. Um, oh, okay. A near-death experience. Yeah. Um, 
mine was not as exciting as some people's, but it was just as profound for me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I had had my wisdom teeth pulled and mm -hmm. they did not know that my, the way that my sinuses are four times the size of a normal human. So I can smell a lot of things, which is <laughs> not always a gift, okay, especially in public. But um, so my wisdom teeth roots had grown into the sinus cavity. So anytime I had ever had a cold or allergies, you know, mucus would build. And what they didn't realize is there was a pocket of infection around each of the upper wisdom teeth. So when they pulled it, they said that um, I was under anesthesia, that I came like this high off the table mm -hmm. and I was, under. that's how bad it hurt when they pulled it. And um, he, you know, was needless to say, extremely upset because that, that much poison going into your body at once is not a good thing. Yeah. And I'm super, super sensitive in general to medications. Like I can't take, you know, pain medications or anything like that, but I didn't know how sensitive I was until this experience. Um, so he sent me home that evening with a antibiotic pain medicine, decongestant. And there was one other thing. I cannot remember what the other thing was, but there was four things. And, um, the next morning we had house guests. I don't even know why we had house guests today after I was getting my wisdom teeth pulled, but anyway, we did. And so uh, my husband was busy with the children and the house guests. And I was laying on the couch. I was not feeling good, as you can imagine. I was very, very sick from because it was just draining into my body. And um, I didn't know because the doctor, the dentist had given the instructions to my husband that I was supposed to space the medication out. So I was in pain and I thought, oh, I'm just going to take everything now because he's busy. Mm -hmm. So I took all four medications. Mm -hmm. And I laid back down, I was downstairs and I started to not feel right. I was like, Ooh, something's not right. So I drug myself upstairs and I crawled in the bed and I don't know how much time passed because your perception, you know, of reality in a situation like this is a little skewed, but all of a sudden I felt this shift in my body and I instantly knew I was dying mm -hmm. And I could feel the life leaving my body. It was the actual, like, because it was liver poisoning, it did not feel good. So I was very consumed with how awful it felt as the, it was like, in a way, it almost felt like toothpaste, like being squeezed from my feet. I went from my feet up and out my crown chakra. But once I came out and... My, to mind you, before this happened, I had never meditated before. I didn't know really anything about meditation. So this was like, not a, like a coping mechanism. Like I came out, popped out of my body. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing was, is I barely had any association with Natalie that was laying on the bed. I felt so amazing. Like I cannot put into words, even as a writer, what the sensation of being out of the body is like. The closest thing I can ever have found to describe is if you've ever carried out, like, you know how sometimes we get like crazy and we put a bunch of groceries on our arms mm -hmm. and carry them upstairs. One trip. Like, yeah. I don't want to make another trip. Mm -hmm. And when you get upstairs and you finally get in, you slam those groceries on the ground and you're like, oh, that's, that's the closest thing I can say. Mm -hmm. I said that's what it felt like to not have the body the body is so heavy it is so heavy you think oh 
it's oh it's light no no it weighs a ton mm. it is so heavy and um I was just on cloud nine I mean I under, I understood that that was me but I didn't care yeah. at all I mean and then you you would think oh that's cruel because you have husband and kids and but they're just like when you separate from the body you lose all of that responsibility and guilt and shame and all that's gone you're just woo and so as I was saying now this all I'm sure happened very quickly but I saw the the quintessential light coming toward me but it was strange because I thought it was like an enveloping light you know when you hear stories in the past but it actually came like a like a road hmm. so it got it came it was started narrow and then it got wider and wider and wider and wider and wider until it was like right in front of me. And I was about to just bust the move into the light. And I felt a divine presence, like standing just to my left. And I was like, because in my heart, I've always felt like obedient to the divine, you know, like whatever, how how it revealed itself to me, you know, under the name of God at the time, I always felt a close communion. So I felt at that time, you know, being a now having a different perspective, I'm not sure if maybe it was a guide, but it had like a, the presence of God, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. it was definitely a being. It wasn't like a, you know, like a burning bush. Like it was a, a person of some mm -hmm. kind, big, 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 tall being. And I had such reverence for it. I didn't look. I just stopped next to it. And I just kind of like exhaled. And I said, what do you want me to do? And as soon as I said that, the being didn't speak, but, you know, it's like it came into my mind. It said fight. And as soon as fight came into me, I was back in my body. Mm -hmm. All the pain, all of the, whoo was not fun. But the interesting thing is about 15 seconds after I came back into my body, my oldest daughter opened the door and came in the room. And I get emotional when I tell this part, but she said, mommy, are you okay? And I thought if I had went, she would have been the one to find me. Getting emotional. But I thought, oh, how horrible that would have been for her. You know, now I get, you know, we're all on our journeys and it's all meant to be the way that it's supposed to be. But at that time I was like, oh, I can't believe that I didn't care because I had the full memory of being out of my body and the, you know, the contradiction, the paradox of, you know, like I didn't care. I wanted to go and back into the heavy body was just a, not a good feeling and so, 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 so sick and poisoned, you know, but. Anyway, that moment was pivotal for me because it helped me to understand there's more. Like, I know it's not just a belief system. I actually experienced it. So, you know, that really opened up my, my faith and my heart and my ability, I think, to accept the, the knowledge that came later because that was about five years before I ever started you know, meditating and learning all the things that I learned. Yeah, that's such a powerful story. And of course, you want to protect your daughter from something like that. 
And I just want to say that I don't normally even see this. I'm not like a channeling angel seeing kind of person, but just as you were telling that story, I'm seeing so many angels around you, like, like a host just uh, surrounding you. Thank you. Thank you to them. <laughs> beautiful. Um, yeah. And so you feel like that was a moment, like a turning point where then you were, you were off on your journey. <laughs> Well, because, you know, you come face to face with, okay, there's more than this physical world, you yeah. know, I just experienced it and experienced the difference in mindset because I was, I mean, like tried to be the best mother that I could be because of my experiences as a child. So being a mother is the most important thing I ever did. So for me to not care, like I understood that that was, that's a different version of me that was outside of the body and it's just yeah. such a, a hope to know you know not only you know what we're all of this that's happening to us you know we're not crazy it's all real but that when it is time for us to transition that it's so beautiful it's so beautiful you know and sometimes when you know somebody's lost somebody you know I feel bad to tell them, I'm like, it's so beautiful. The sadness is for the people left behind. Like, you know, I've, you know, experienced other, you know, losing other people. And since then, and I'm sad for the loss to the place that they were in my mm -hmm. life, but I'm so happy for them because I'm like, they're free. They don't have to do it anymore. You know, like, it's just, it's, it's, I feel so, so blessed to be able to have that experience firsthand. And to know that. Yeah, I know. I know a few spirits myself and I know what you mean. It's, it's liberating and can be so beautiful when people have been struggling and uh, they are still around and there is still so much more. So I'm glad for the people that are on that same page, you know? Um, and I guess we're coming, we're coming up to the end of the hour, but I want to know what you think is maybe um, what's next. I know you have another, writings out and I'm sure there'll be more after that but where would you like to be um in the next five ten years in the rest of your life <laughs> well I just I just want to keep becoming more more one that's not proper grammar I want to be more one with my authentic self you know that's always my goal to be the be best version of me that I can and to make everyone around me to feel loved and cared about and special and to continue to be able to share my message, you know, and hopefully that my life can inspire others and my books can inspire others to heal and to grow and to not just accept what's been dealt to them in life that they can take control and do that. And, you know, I would like to put out some books, some nonfiction books about my experiences, you know, I don't, I'm not really one to want to write like a biography, but I, you know, like a workbook of the things that I use to help me heal and to transform the pain from my childhood. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are, those are things that are on, on the plate to work on and just to keep, you know, being around wonderful people like you and just keep encouraging each other. I mean, if, if I can do that, with the rest of my life, I'll, I'll feel I've been a success, success. Well, that's beautiful and very profound. And this conversation has been very inspiring too. So Thank I you. Know that that's what you exude. Um, 
Yeah. So thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate this time that, that we've spent together. I appreciate you sharing your story. Well, thank you, Emily. I mean, you are so inspiring yourself and you have such a beautiful energy and heart. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to you to be able to be here and be on your podcast and, you know, to get to commune with you and talk with you and thank you again.